All right, well, um, John 15 and 16 is where we're going to be today. So if you want to jump there ahead of time, I invite you to do that. Uh, and and as, as you do that, just the thing that, the thing that the text is going to reveal to us today isn't really something it's revealing because we, we intuitively know this, but it's, it's a reminder that we're going to discover this idea that life is, is hard. Is anybody who, in here who didn't already know that? <laughs> no, right? Like, we, we get that. Life is hard. It's difficult. Um, there's, there's pain. There's confusion. There's loss. There's suffering. There's, it's, it's scary. It's uncertain. It, it feels like the ground is just shaking beneath our feet sometimes. And that's true on a, a kind of a massive scale, like just the world around us. As you think about you know, every day, you, know, you turn on the news or you scroll through your feed or whatever that looks like, and it's just like, what is going on in the world right now? Um, and honestly, a lot of the things that are going on aren't that uncommon for kind of human history, but for many of us, for most of our lifetimes, it's like this is, this is kind of uncharted territory. It's like there's, there's war in Eastern Europe. There's war in the Middle East. There's uh, political unrest and political tension at home and abroad. The economy's not great. Inflation's through the roof. I hate going to the grocery store. It's just like, what is going on around me? And so like that broad scale, it's like things are scary and things are uncertain, but then it's not just out there. It's also unsca- uncertain and scary and painful in our own lives that every person in here today, you either are in the midst of something, you just came through something, or you're about to go into something. Like, that's just kind of what life is. And, and, and so we experience life, and, and man, some of you have dealt with and are dealing with some really serious uh, sickness or illness. And we experience life, and there's, uh, we lose loved ones, friends, family members. We uh, lose a job or we can't make ends meet and like that terrifying feeling of what am I going to do and I feel so inadequate because I can't pay the bills or provide for my family, that feeling of relationships that are in complete and total turmoil where, where it's like, okay, uh, my, you know, it's, it's a dating relationship or marriage that's falling apart or it's, uh, <laughs> it, it could be a, a friendship that we lost, it could be just a, a rift between kids and parents, whatever that looks like, it's like, man, this... I've been betrayed by people, I've been hurt by people, dealing with anxiety or depression or hopelessness. It's like, gosh, what is going on? It's painful. And we are, you know, life is hard, it is, and, and, and we, we're lying to ourselves and other people if we say that it's not. We're like, no, it's fine, everything's fine. It's like, that's not true. But at the same time, even though it's hard and we've got to admit that and we've got to face that, there's also a lot of beauty in it and there's goodness and even when life is hard, it's, it's, worth, it's worth living. It can be lived well, and we can actually can experience a, a good life. And that is, that is the, the kind of the conflict or the tension that Jesus is going to invite us into today um, as, as he speaks these well-known words. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe you haven't. We're going to learn them together today. As he says this in John 16, 33. He says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. You will have suffering, but be courageous, or different translations, maybe you've heard it said, but take heart, um, uh, take courage, be of good cheer, like, hey, as in, like, hey, things are going to be bad, but, and yet, there's still something that, that can be done, there's still a life that, that can be lived, but just the, the definitive, you will have suffering in this world. Not some people might, and others won't, or it might not be too bad, but no, you will. And there's just this, this reality of sometimes, and and maybe it was implicit, or maybe we, like maybe somebody explicitly taught this to us. We just kind of learned this over time. Sometimes we can think it's like, well, man, if, if I have faith and if I'm a Christian, if I'm following Jesus, things will be, it'll be easy and it'll solve all the problems. And that's just not true. 
our lived experience doesn't tell us that. And actually, even more than that, the words of Jesus says, no, that, that's not true. Now, we, we, we are fond of saying around here that, hey, if you follow Jesus, your life will be better. We believe that with every fiber of our beings, that Jesus makes your life better, but better isn't always easier. In fact, a lot of times, as we're going to kind of discover, better is harder, but it's worth it on a deeper level. And, and so whenever we kind of don't balance this, hey, you will have suffering, but it's not like, but, the, but there's something else. When we lose sight of that, we can begin to get disillusioned with, with faith, as in like, well, life's hard, so this, this faith isn't working. And in fact, man, the, the number of conversations I've had with people over the years doing this were either uh, explicitly stated or just kind of this implicit idea of like, I don't think faith is working for me. And when you get to kind of press at that idea, it's like, well, what do you mean working? What are you talking about? It's like, well, think, is that me? Am I popping? Oh, 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 did you guys glad? Try it, try it, try it, hello, hey, hey. Okay, now, now we're good, we're good. I'm not gonna sing a song, but I feel like I should, I, should, I should preach with a little bit of ah now, you know what I'm saying, like I got the microphone. Oh gosh, there's no recovering after this. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna try this. This is, it's, it's real here, okay? Sometimes you will have suffering in this world, like your microphone won't work, no, first world problems, I know, I know. But we can begin to think, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself rein myself back in, I'm gonna bring all of you with me. We can begin to think, hey, faith isn't, isn't working because my, the circumstances haven't changed. But Jesus wants to get at something much greater than that. And he, he gets to this idea in this verse, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous for I have conquered the world. Those words are spoken in the farewell discourse that we've been looking at for a couple of weeks now. We're going to kind of wrap that up next week. But Jesus' last words to his disciples, um, kind of collectively in a group, this last section of teaching or encouragement before Jesus is going to be arrested and beaten and crucified. And he, and he says this, this statement, and it comes at the end of, of this kind of larger section of instruction where he's just kind of saying, hey, guys, that's going to be rough, and there's going to be sorrow, and there's going to be pain. And this is kind of the capstone statement at the end of it. He's like, hey, it's going to happen, but be courageous. And, and so I want to jump right into that and kind of work through some of that text. It's going to be John 15, 18 through 16, 33. It's a large passage. We are not going to go verse by verse through all of that. I want to hit these big ideas and land back on this statement of Jesus. So let's jump in. John 15, starting in verse 18. Jesus tells the disciples, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. And so several different times, he's like, hey, the, the world's going to hate you. In fact, kind of five different times, he mentions the world here. He says, if the world hates you, uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you. However, um, you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. He's like, hey, the world, the world, the world, the world, the world is going to hate you. Now, what he means is, is not that every single person hates you. 
Like, he, he's not instructing Christians, because sometimes we do this, especially kind of in the comfort of Western Christianity. We, we get a little bit of a persecution complex. Everybody hates me. Everybody's against me. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that literally every, like every one of your neighbors and everybody around you who's not a Christian, that they're, they're all going to hate you or be against you actively. In fact, many people are just like, I don't really care. You do you, man. It's not the idea of individuals hating you, although sometimes people have a problem with, with, with what you believe. It's more the idea of the kind of the system and the structure of the world. The way that the New Testament authors talk about the world, they talk about this, the age that we live in, this present age or this age of darkness or this present kingdom of darkness. This is the idea of the world. It's the systems and the structures. It's the way, it's kind of the way world, the world operates. How we might just say, well, you know, that's just kind of how things are. This is how everybody lives. This is how everybody acts. This is what people do. It is, uh, it's the world. And so there's this idea in the New Testament, there's a battle of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, and then there's the kingdom of God. And those two kingdoms, man, they're clashing. They're at odds with one another. They, 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 they bump up against each other over and over and over again. You have the, the kingdom of God, which is simply his rule. It's his reign. It's his will. It's his purposes being done. This is why Jesus instructs his disciples, hey, pray this way that your kingdom come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we want to see the, the will and the purposes of God done in our lives and in the world around us. So you have that kingdom. And then you have the kingdom of the world, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's human systems, it's human evil. But also there's spiritual evil behind that, animating that, the, the things that are opposed to God and his ways. He says, if you're, if you're my follower, like you're, you're a disciple, you've actually... You've been chosen out of the world. And so there's this idea that, hey, if you're, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you used to be kind of part of the system of the world, you used to be part of these structures, and then Jesus shows up in your life and he changes everything about you, right? Like he invades your life with, with love and hope and forgiveness and peace, and he transforms you, and you begin, begin to see the world in different ways. And he's like, you were in this kingdom, now I pulled you out and I brought you into mine. The, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians puts it so powerfully and beautifully. He says that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. There's been a kingdom transfer in your life if you are a follower of Jesus. And he says, so the, the world hates you, but it's not really because of you per se. It's because you are caught up in this kind of cosmic thing that is much bigger than you. There's a battle, there's a clash of kingdoms going on, and, and you're on, on kind of one side of that battle. And the opposing side is butting up against you. And so the kingdom of the world is opposed to the kingdom of God. The world hates the king of that kingdom, King Jesus, and the people of that kingdom that follow that king. And so Jesus says, when they hate you, it's not that they really hate you. They're actually hating me. There's a battle of kingdoms. And so when Jesus speaks these words, he's, he's speaking in them uh, directly. The direct context is to the, to the apostles, the disciples, uh, the guys that are there closest to Jesus. Uh, this is either spoken in the upper room or maybe they've left the upper room at this part and they're, point, and they're on their way to the garden. And Jesus is having this intimate conversation with like those 12 guys, right? He says, the world is going to be against you. They face that in very real ways. That, that all of the apostles, with the exception of John, who's writing this, would be killed for their faith. And, and John had no easy life. He, was, uh, he lived to be an old man, but he was tortured. He was imprisoned. He watched all of his friends be killed for their faith. And so when, when Jesus speaks these words, it was a very uh, clear and real reality for these guys. They saw the way that the world operated and the systems of the Roman Empire and the Jewish religious system that conspired to kill Jesus and then came after them as well. And that, that has been and is the reality, man, for a lot of people. That this is spoken directly to those disciples, but broadly speaking applies to every follower of Jesus down throughout the centuries. The people today, around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ still die for their faith. 
that today people will die for their just professing faith in Jesus. It's estimated that over the past decade, in the 21st century, in the past decade, 900,000 Christians have been killed for their faith. It's a very real thing. And, and whenever we think about opposition for, for faith in Jesus, we don't face it like that. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful to live where we do. And I don't have to worry about, I'm, I'm waking up today, I'm going about my life, I might be arrested, I might be beaten because I'm a Christian. But we do still face opposition, and we should expect it. We really should. It looks different in our lives, but it, it plays out in ways like this. Talking to a friend over the past couple of weeks, this idea of like, hey, you know, sometimes it's just comments at work from people. It's those kind of underhanded, like, oh, you're a Christian, huh? You want to pray for us, or, or you're better than the rest of us. It, it's, it comes in the form of the loss of respect of our peers sometimes. I can't believe you believe those things. Are you crazy? Sometimes it comes in, in the form of loss of, of, like, friendships, where it's like, okay, I used to go there and do that and think that way, and I don't anymore. And then it's like, well, okay, well, you're not part of our group anymore. Sometimes it, it, it's, it's closer than that. It's deeper than that. It's being rejected by families because of faith. I, uh, I still am involved in our student ministry here at the church, but, you know, student ministry is kind of what I cut my teeth on. And, and so over the course of the last basically 15 years working with, with teenagers, the amount of times is heartbreaking where it's like a, a kid's like, I want to I follow Jesus. I'm putting my faith in him. And like their life is transformed and there's joy and there's happiness and there's forgiveness and there's love. And they are so excited about this new life and this new opportunity that they have only to be met at home by whatever you do that, but I'm not going to support you. No, you can't go to church. No, you can't go to youth group. I don't want that being a part of your life. And so there are these kind of different points of opposition that we're going to face. And Jesus is like, hey, I just want you to know that. I just want you to be, be aware. I don't want you to be caught off guard. And he continues and says, remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. So again, it's not. He's like, hey, it's because you're following me. They don't like me as their king or this kingdom that I'm, I'm bringing into the world. And if you're a part of that, they're going to be against you as well. But they will do all these things uh, to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know the one who sent me. So he says, listen, expect opposition to your faith. As we talk about the hardships of life, not only is it sometimes is there suffering or pain or opposition in spite of our faith. Not only is it the world happens, and even if we're Christians, like things still happen, and things are still rough, and we live in a broken world. Not only do we face that in spite of our faith, but Jesus is saying, hey, sometimes you're going to face that because of your faith. Sometimes your faith in me is going to make you so different that people aren't going to be okay with that. Just to prepare us for this idea, it's like, hey, it's not, it's not a problem if you suffer for your faith. Sometimes we start to suffer and we're like, whoa, there must be a glitch here. This isn't right. This, there's a bug in the system. He's like, no, that, that's, that's part of the system. The, the, the Christian faith is one that is built upon a, a suffering, crucified king and savior. And he invites his followers to follow him in that path. It's not a problem if we face opposition for our faith. It's actually a problem if we don't. Like it's a problem if, if, if I'm like living my life and I got my faith in Jesus and how I live and this is what I do. And this is over here on one side, and like everything's great and everything's wonderful. Um, and, but then like there's never any opposition between how I live and what I believe versus the world around me, the people around me. If they're just like, no, we're cool. You're good. Yeah, this is great. I don't think anything you believe or how you live is crazy. That's a problem. As Jesus just a moment ago, remember, said, hey, if you were of the world, the world, the world would love you as its own. And so it's like, man, does, does the world love us? Again, not to, not to say or create a persecution complex, but is there ever a moment where my faith in Jesus brings up tension between me and the world around me? Or do I look like the rest of the world around me? Now, here's where I got to put in a disclaimer. 
because this can, this can go haywire, and we've seen this go haywire. Hey, 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 Xavier, can I borrow you? Come here, hold this at my face. <laughs> I've only got so many hands. So as I, was, <laughs> as I was preparing for this message this week and reading this one commentary, as it came to this point, this guy put a, a good disclaimer in. He says, we need to insert a disclaimer here. There's a big difference between enduring persecution and picking a fight. Some Christians are so obnoxious, his words, not mine, okay, saying I disagree though. Some Christians are so obnoxious and lacking of all social skills that they cause a lot of problems for themselves. They think they're suffering for Jesus when really they're suffering from the problems that they've created through their own behavior. These Christians are an embarrassment for the rest of us. Unfortunately, they tend to be the ones who proudly display bumper stickers to let everyone know that they are Christians even though their lives don't show it. They're also the ones who tend to be featured in magazines and on television shows giving the church a bad name. And so it's like, yeah, we should expect opposition to our faith, but notice what Jesus says. He says, listen, uh, it'll be on account of my name, not because of you and how you treat people. We're not called to go out and be jerks for Jesus. He says, no, like, you, you go love people. You love your neighbor, and, and if you face opposition, it should be for me. And not just treating people poorly, because definitely we need to avoid that, right? Like, we love people. We don't treat, treat people poorly. We don't pick fights with people. But also, I, I like that the author had stated as well, like, lacking of social skills. Because sometimes it's like, man, people are, like, persecuting me. It's like, no, you're just kind of weird, man. <laughs> it's like, well, there, there's a, like, we got to learn how to read. Like, there's, like, an emotional intelligence thing here, learning how to read a situation and have dynamic interactions with people where it's like, I want to represent Christ well in everything that I do, in every conversation that I have. And when I'm doing that and I'm loving people and I'm representing him well, then if I face opposition, that's okay. But it should never be because of me and my actions. All right, so he says, hey, expect this, right? He goes on kind of talking to them about the, the direct context in which he is speaking. Uh, the people of his day rejecting him, even though he had done all these miracles and they'd seen all these signs. And he says, they, they reject me and they hate me because really they hate, they hate God. They hate God the Father. And, and so there's this line that he draws. He's like, listen, they hate you because they hate me. They hate me because ultimately they hate God and they don't know him. And so he sets the disciples up and he speaks to us. He's like, hey, expect hardship, expect persecution. Sometimes you'll suffer in spite of your faith. Sometimes you're going to suffer because of your faith. And then like right in the middle of that, he shifts gears for a second. And right at the end of chapter 15, he's like, okay, persecution, hardship, difficulty. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then verse 26, he's like, when the counselor comes, what? Like I thought, I thought well, this, this, just took, this just changed directions. He's like, yeah, no, no, no. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. When the counselor comes, the counselor or the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, over the course of the next couple of paragraphs, as Jesus is weaving in, talking about sorrow and grief and, and hardship and all these things, three different times he's going to come back to this idea, but the counselor's coming, the comforter's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming, the helper's coming, your advocate is coming. In the midst, in the midst of your sorrow and your suffering and your pain, you are not alone. He promises, if I leave, I'm going to send my spirit. If your faith is in me, my spirit is going to be living and dwelling within you. My presence is going to be with you. My power is going to be working within you. You are not alone in your suffering. In fact, I think John even structures his words here this way because he kind of makes a persecution sandwich, right? Like this section of chapter 15, he's like, persecution and trials and hardship, and then he's going to roll right into verse six, or chapter 16. He's going to keep on talking about persecution and trials and hardship. And so it's like hardship and hardship. And right in the middle of me talking about hardship, the counselor is coming. 
The Holy Spirit will be there in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trials. When you think you're all alone, when you think you can't make it anymore, Jesus is like, I am right there with you in it. You are not alone when life is difficult. I have not abandoned you when the counselor comes. It's going to be rough, but you're not alone. And so he continues and says, hey, I've I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Right? Jesus is not trying to pull a bait and switch on us or or pull something over our eyes. He's like, no, it's, it's going to be hard. They'll ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. And so this is, again, talking directly to that context. As you read into the book of Acts, this is what would happen to the apostles. They'd be kicked out of the synagogue. They'd be kicked out of the temple. Persecution would break out against the church, and the church would scatter. And so he's like, I want you to be prepared for that, and I also want you to know that I'm sending my spirit to be with you in the midst of that. And so he, he talks to them in this moment about hardships that they're going to face because of following him. But there's also another sense of sorrow that is being woven throughout this entire, uh, this entire passage. And, and throughout all of the farewell discourse, Jesus keeps coming back to this idea of, I'm leaving. And these guys are like, what do you mean you're leaving? You can't leave. We just got started. Like th- th- This takes place at the end of what seemed like was the best week ever for Jesus and the disciples. The beginning of this particular week, they come into the city of Jerusalem and everyone's like, Hosanna, yeah, Jesus, we love you. This is great. And the disciples are thinking, yes. Finally, he's going to set up the nation of Israel. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to kick out the Romans. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Jesus is going to be king. And, you know, we're like his closest friends, so it's going to be good for us too. And now all of a sudden here in this this conversation, Jesus starts talking about, I'm leaving. And he's going to kind of point at this idea that the the nature by which he's going to leave is not going to be good, and they're going to face persecution. They're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I thought this was the moment. I thought everything was going to be great. And the sorrow is sinking in on them. And so, so Jesus uh, talks about that. And again, he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to say, hey, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. He, he says this in verse 6, yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I've told you these things that I'm leaving. I've told you that life is going to be really hard, and, you're, and the sorrow is coming into your heart, your heart, this grief, this heaviness, this weightiness that is just consuming you. Again, in, in verse 20, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will weep and mourn. Sorrow, grief, loss, pain, unimaginable pain. Jesus here is speaking about his death. This this moment where everything that the disciples thought was going to come true is just lost in an instant. Like this is not to the disciples. This is not just some, some religious uh, guru or guy that's kind of distanced. And it's like, yeah, he's Jesus. He's cool, whatever. I'm following him. Like, no, this is, they spent three years with him. He is their closest friend. He is the one that they have put all their hope in. They, they come from a, a, a people who've been waiting for their Messiah for generations, for hundreds of years. And they think he, it's happened in our time. It's happened in our day. We're seeing it. Everything's going to be better from this moment on. These guys have left their families and their homes and their jobs to follow him. Everything is riding on Jesus. And then they watch him falsely accused, beaten within an inch of his life, hung naked, bleeding, spit on, on a cross and die. And their world falls apart. He says, you will, you will weep and you will mourn. You will be filled with sorrow. Some of you have experienced this kind of sorrow in life. Where it's not just like I'm sad and things are hard, but, it, but it's like it consumes everything about my existence. It's like, it's, like, it's like a black hole that I'm existing in. And it's just pain all the time. This is the moment that the disciples find themselves in. Jesus is like, this is coming. This is going to happen for you. And he also says that the world will rejoice. 
that idea again that he was talking about earlier, the, the world, the world around you, this other, this other kingdom, the, the kingdom of darkness and its ruler is rejoicing. You will become sorrowful. You're, you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Now that, that is a beautiful promise where he doesn't deny the reality of their lived experience, but he says that's not all that there is. It's not the end of the story. There's something more. This is one of the most powerful truths about the Christian faith is that it is a faith that says whatever you are going through, the pain, the difficulty, the suffering never gets to have the final word. Yes, there's death, but there's resurrection on the other side. Yes, there's death, but there's life on the other side. Yes, you know, from, from Old Testament to New, throughout history, there's this truth of the Christian faith that says while there's pain for the night, joy comes in the says, you're going to experience this sorrow, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And then to get the disciples to kind of understand this, he, he uses this word picture, this familiar life experience. And he says, when, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into this world. He's like, it's like a mother giving birth. He says, it's this painful experience. It's the most excruciating pain that a human is going to endure. However, once the baby is born, it's like all of that's forgotten about. It's not that the pain didn't happen. It's not that it wasn't very, very real. Or it's like, no, this was fine. No big deal. He's like, but the joy of that new life is so much greater. In fact, it's so great that usually, not always, but usually moms are like, let's do that again. Right? Because it's like, like, there's just this joy of seeing new life coming into the world. And he's like, I want you to have that picture in your mind, okay? That there's pain, but then there's so much more joy on the other side. And it says, so you also, so you also will have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. He says, I'm, I'm leaving, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to weep, and you're going to mourn, and there's going to be sorrow, and I'm not denying any of that. But... Your joy is coming back. And, and it's coming back in such a way that no one can take it. What, what is it that brings about the disciples' joy? It's what he said in the first part here. I will see you again. That their joy is attached to their seeing of Jesus. That this is, this is not just like, hey, you know, we'll be reunited with Jesus again someday when we, when we die. This is Jesus speaking what is going, about what is going to happen over the course of those next couple of days. There will be intense sorrow, intense pain. You think the world is falling apart around you. You think there is no coming back from this. But then you will have your joy back and no one can take it away from you because you will, I will see you again, which means you will see me again, which means the death that I'm about to suffer is not the end of the story. That you will see me alive. We will have conversations. We will have breakfast on the beach. We will, we will be together again in a very real way a few days from now. And this is why he says, and no one can take that joy away from you. Because if death itself could not take away our joy, then nothing can. Because if death itself could not hold Jesus down, then there is nothing else. Death is, the, death is like the final chapter in our human minds, right? It is the finite thing. It is the only thing you don't come back from. Everything else in life, you're like, okay, everything else in life, it's only a season. It may be a long season, but it'll end at some point. Death is like the only permanent thing. And Jesus shows up and says, actually, it's not anymore. Even the most permanent, terrifying thing for humans no longer holds power over me. You can have joy no matter what. You're going to experience sorrow. But when you see me again because of my resurrection, you will have joy. 
continues to teach a little bit more, but then he gets to the end of this passage and he puts the capstone statement on the whole thing. Things are going to be hard and there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering. I don't want you to be disillusioned. I don't want you to ignore that. But I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will suffer in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. I have conquered the world. That world of, of, of human evil and sin plus spiritual evil and sin, those things that lead to sin and death and destruction and chaos and, and, and evil in the world that leads to sickness and all the things that we experience, Jesus says, I have conquered that. That world stands defeated. And even though you are still experiencing it, it right now, the, the end has already been written. I have conquered the world. And even though you are now in the world, you are not in the world by yourself. My spirit is there with you conquer the world. My presence is with you in this world. So you can be courageous. You can be courageous. He says, I've told you these things, everything. I've laid out the good and the bad for you, but I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Peace in the midst of everything that's going on in the world. Peace in the midst of everything that's going on in our own lives. But there's two things that, that make up this genuine peace of Jesus. The recognition that we will have suffering and the recognition that Jesus has conquered. It takes both of those to have genuine peace. Because whenever we deny one or the other, we ignore one or the other, we either end up living in denial or defeatism. And depending on just kind of how you were wired or how, how you were raised or what your life experience has been, we, we, we often just gravitate towards one or the other. Right? Some of us, we, we, like, we live in denial. We're like, I, I love that second part about Jesus. I've overcome the world. Like Jesus overcome. He's a victor. He's, he's victorious. And I'm walking in victory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's like, that's great. But whenever we ignore the you will have suffering part, that's not real victory. And that's not real peace. It, it, like the peace of Jesus is, is most powerful when we recognize everything is falling apart. And there is pain. Yet in spite of that, he's victorious. And his spirit is with and so we live in this, this denial sense, which ignores a lot of the power of Jesus. Or we can flip to the other side, where we have a defeatist mentality, where we focus a whole lot on the you will have suffering, but we ignore the I've conquered the world part. We become Eeyore Christians. It's like, oh, bother. World's bad. It's gone to hell in a handbasket. Life's hard. My life's hard. I'm dealing with this thing. It's just always going to be this way any hope for me. Things aren't ever going to change. And we can begin to just live in this. Yeah, but what about the Jesus said he's conquered the world and his spirit is with us. When we hold on to both of those things, yeah, the world is really hard. I'm not ignoring my, my reality and what's going on in the world, what's going on in my life, but I know that's not the end of the story, that Jesus has overcome and his spirit is living within me. It's when those two things, we're holding those together that we experience the peace of Jesus in our lives. Life is is. And all of us are going to experience suffering. It, do, it doesn't matter, you know, Christian, not Christian, old, young, what your life experience has been, where you've come from, like all of us, we don't get to choose whether we suffer or not. If we've been alive for more than five minutes, we've experienced some level of pain or suffering in our lives. We don't get to choose whether or not that happens, but we do get to choose whether or not we go through that on our own or whether or not we go through that with Christ whether or not we go through that on our own or whether or not we attach ourselves to the one who has overcome so we too will overcome, whether we attach ourselves to the one who has sent his spirit to empower us and give us peace in the midst of those things. That is the invitation for us. 
for his followers of Jesus to live in that every day. It's like, no, this is, this is true of me, that he has, he has overcome the world and his spirit is living within me. That is the invitation for us every day. That's the invitation for those of you who haven't made a decision to follow Jesus yet to say, you know what, that can be yours as well. To put our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus. As Jesus speaks to his disciples there that night before he's about to leave, as he speaks to his disciples down through the generations, he says, guys, here's some things you need to know. One of the things you need to know is before I leave, you need to know that this world is going to be hard. You're going to experience pain, but you can be courageous. You can take heart. You can face this life head on and be who I've made you to be and live how I've made you to live because I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for just that reality and that truth that you have overcome. Uh, there's nothing that we have done or that we can do to overcome, but because of your life, death, and resurrection, you have defeated sin, you've defeated evil, you have defeated death itself. Lord, you've sent your spirit to live within us, to empower us, to reveal more of who you are. And so, God, I pray that we would be people that just, that we live courageously, that we live in spite of what is happening around us or what may even be happening in our own lives, that we live courageous lives anchored to a hope in you. And so empower us as we leave this place we go about our days and weeks to know that regardless of what's happening in or around us, you are who you are, who you've always been, who you always will be, a God who loves us and has rescued us. We pray this in your name.